Hi, you're listening to Hello Movies. I'm Lana Gay. Today on the podcast, a look at the movie Yesterday. I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? Spider-Man trivia. With great power comes great responsibility. Plus, the history of the expression silver screen and a chat with Tanner Zipchin about new movies. The 21 bridges in and out of Manhattan. Shut them down. But first... that guy he's like iron man and thor rolled into one he's no spider-man what is it with you and spider-man what he looks out for the neighborhood has a dope suit and i really respect him there's less than a week to go before spider-man far from home finally hits theaters marvel movies are famous for keeping their plots under wraps but we know the movie takes place after everything that went down in avengers endgame and we know it stars tom holland since endgame's been out for a few months we feel confident telling you this too spoiler alert Spider-Man is alive! But wait, there's more! Uh, First, a catch-up. Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, was snapped out of existence by Thanos in Infinity War. Remember how sad that was? Dry your tears, because thanks to the heroes of Endgame, Peter is back. He was gone for five years, but he didn't age while he was away, so he's still in high school. Now that we're all caught up, let's move forward. Here are nine things we do know about Spider-Man Far From Home. The first thing we know begins with the title. He's going far from home, which is Queens, New York, by the way. Uh, He's going all the way to Europe. School trip. Peter Parker here to pick up a passport, please. Mini toothpaste? Mm -hmm. Pack your suit. I just want to go on my trip with my friends. Europe doesn't really need a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. The second thing we know is something Peter himself doesn't know. Europe does need a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So nice to finally meet you, Spider-Man. You're Nick Fury. Put some clothes on. Let's go for a ride. That's number three right there. Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury appears to be Peter Parker's new mentor. With Tony Stark gone, moment of silence, please. Someone has to step in. Tony was kind of a father figure type, but it looks like Nick and Peter have a bit of a tough love thing going on. We have a job to do. You're coming with us. There's got to be someone else you can use. What about Thor? Off world. Captain Marvel. Unavailable. I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You've been to space. Can't put anything over on Nick Fury, kid. On to number four. Peter may be trying to kick back and enjoy London and Venice with his classmates, but you know he's not going to get much of a vacation. Instead, he gets a new ally named Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Here's what Jake told Cineplex magazine about his character. Mysterio in the comics, in the original comics, is obviously a villain. And it was painted that way. But I like, you know, when they approached me about the movie, they had a take on this story that I think is very, will be very surprising. And, um, and I, I feel like the answer is no. Why is this even a question? Because just like the man said, Mysterio is historically a really bad guy. He first turned up in the comics in 1964, and there have been a few different Mysterios over the years. The most famous one is a special effects wizard named Quinton Beck. Beck is also a magician who knows his way around chemistry and robotics and uses illusions to trick Spider-Man and commit his villainous acts. The jury may still be out on whether Mysterio is friend or foe. The fifth thing we know about the movie is who some of the bad guys are. 
Spider-Man and Mysterio team up to fight the Elementals, four villains from the comics who use the elements of fire, air, earth, and water to wreak havoc. Producer Eric Carroll says they were also inspired by comic book characters like Hydro-Man, who gets his power from the Grand Canal of Venice, and looks both gigantic and terrifying, especially if you happen to be an innocent tourist on a gondola. They found a way to show these huge, fictitious villains in very real places, as Tom Holland told the crowd at a fan event in Brazil. It's amazing because you'd expect a film like this, of this scale, to be shot in front of a green screen, you know, but we are sailing down the main canal in Venice and we are shooting on the in the main square in Prague and we are putting these very incredible characters in very incredible places and it's amazing to see these characters operate with a backdrop that we all know and love. If the mission of this movie was to amp up the spectacle factor, mission accomplished. Time for number six. Peter Parker's friends... Try saying that three times fast. Peter Parker's friends, who were also victims of the Thanos snap and all came back with him. That means he's still hanging out with Ned and Betty. He's still tormented by Flash Thompson. And here comes the seventh thing we know about the movie. It looks like he has new feelings for his pal MJ, played by Zendaya, whose edge clearly came back from the snap with her. You look really pretty. And therefore, I have value. No, no, that's not I'm right. messing with you. You look... Pretty too. The eighth thing we know? Spidey's got a new suit. It's a stealth suit, and it looks like he gets it while he's in Europe. And since he's all, you know, stealthy and everything, it's black. Nice. We don't know what it can do yet, but I can't wait to find out. And now, the ninth and final thing we can tell you about Spider-Man Far From Home? It comes out July 2nd, and Tom Holland seems pretty excited about it. And in my opinion, this movie is way better than the first one. It's going to be so crazy. You got gifts, Parker, but you have a job to do. Are you going to step up or not? Of course he's going to step it up. Isn't that why we're going to see the movie? So in anticipation, we started looking back at all of the live-action Spider-Man movies, whether they starred Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, or the current web-slinger Tom Holland. Remember the cafeteria scene in Spider-Man when Peter Parker catches MJ's flying lunch on her tray? They didn't need CGI for that. They just stuck the tray to Tobey Maguire's hand until he caught everything on the 156th take. Here's a bit of fun trivia. According to Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man is Jewish, just like his creator, Stan Lee. There's some evidence of this in the comics, where the superhero's expressions include Yiddish words like fukakta and schlamazel. Those mean ridiculous and loser, respectively. Okay, so we're going to give you four more fun facts about Spider-Man live-action movies. Three are true. One is pure fabrication. Let's see if you can guess which. One, some of the jokes in Homecoming were written by Seth Rogen. Two, Alfred Molina, who played villain Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2, named each of his tentacles. Three, Tom Holland found out he won the part as Spider-Man via Instagram... Four, there were actual spider auditions for the first movie with Tobey Maguire. Is your spidey sense tingling with the right answer? We'll let you know if you're right later on in the podcast. Do you genuinely not know who the Beatles are? Genuinely. Then I'm in a really, really, really complicated situation. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Sorry, I'm just listening to Jack's new song. What's this one called? Leave it be. Let it be.
That's a clip from the movie Yesterday, which comes out this week. It has a wacky and very intriguing premise. A struggling musician wakes up after an accident to find out he's the only person in the world who remembers the Beatles and becomes a megastar when he starts performing their songs. Obviously. The movie was directed by Danny Boyle, famous for 28 Days Later and Slumdog Millionaire. To get the inside scoop, I'm here with Ingrid Rendoja, deputy editor at Cineplex Magazine. She's been interviewing Boyle ever since Trainspotting came out in 1996. And lucky for us, she spoke to him again recently to talk about yesterday. Ingrid, Danny Boyle is known for gritty movies like Trainspotting, 28 Days Later, even Slumdog Millionaire has some darkness in it. Uh, Is this movie a a total 180 in terms of tone or is there some edge to it as well? Oh, I think it's a 180 turn for sure. I don't think it's got the same sort of gritty darkness uh, of his other films. And I think that's purposeful because I think he wanted to make a movie that made him feel uh, good and make us, the audience, feel good. He spoke about that. It's really important that, especially in this time we're living in, to have this kind of great moment of just having fun at the movies. Because the idea is, we all know sitting there that we're going to hear songs we know and we're going to watch people react to them. And we know these songs and we're going to hear it and we're going to enjoy it. It's almost like he said there's a chortle of glee in the audience when he screened it. Chortle of glee. It's sort of like, oh my gosh, here it comes, you know, and and you know what's going to happen and you want to be part of it. It's almost, he called it audience participation. Uh, Boyle collaborated with writer Richard Curtis, Mm -hmm. who is known for Love Actually, Notting Hill, Mr. Bean. Uh, So he usually writes romantic comedies. Uh, What's the story? How did they come to work together? Well, when the 2012 Olympics was in London, uh, Danny Boyle produced the opening number of the show, and Richard Curtis was involved in writing some of it. So they were friends, and just while they were working together haphazardly, you know, he's... uh, Danny Boyle said, if you ever have anything you want me to read that you've written, let me know. And uh, a year later, he called him and said, listen, I have the script I think you might be interested in. And he read it. And he, as he said to me, he read it. And within five minutes, his kitchen table, he said, oh, I'm doing it. It's interesting because this is a Beat- this is a movie that is not about the Beatles, but it is mm-hmm. about the music of the Beatles. What? How does that work with rights? Well, uh, it's quite simple in a lot of ways. You just have to uh, contact Apple Music, who owns the rights, said, sure, go ahead. You can do it. Um, I think it's because, as he said, it's Richard Curtis and Working Title, which are the two, you know, sort of most revered British um, institutions, the writer and the company. And then uh, just to be clear, he sent a letter to all the uh, remaining Beatles, the two remaining Beatles and the two uh, widows, and asked them and to get their blessing, and they gave it. So. I think that that's a real testament as well mm-hmm. to the – when you get permission from the Beatles and, you know, they're – Wives. Yes. I think that means that this is going to be good. Yes. The film stars Himish Patel mm-hmm. from BBC's EastEnders. How did Boyle come to cast him in the movie? Well, he uh, did a casting uh, call. And uh, as he uh, said to me, he had some more famous musicians who could you know, play Beatles songs really well. But they just didn't seem to have this the certain thing that they're all looking for when you're casting a movie. And what he said is he felt like this guy played them, not this exactly the same, but he really just made you hear them for the first time again. And I, it's a very small little detail, but he felt like the, the song sounded fresh when he played them. And he just found that that's exactly what he needed for this movie. That's really, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Sheeran is in the film. He's in right. the trailer, which is so funny. The hey dude, <laughs> hey, dude hey, yeah. hey dude, hey Jude moment. Let me just give you this advice. Song title. Hey Dude. Hey, dude, are you sure? Hey, dude. That's so much better. Do-de, do-de, do-de. 
Now, he has often mentioned that the Beatles are an inspiration for him. And it's kind of interesting to think about the concept of the Beatles not existing and yes. where musicians would be nowadays mm-hmm. without them. Mm-hmm. So how do you think that's going to be portrayed in the movie? I don't know. I think it's a really good question. I mean, Ed Sheeran exists in this universe as a famous rock star. I don't know if he's as famous. Let's just see, like, how famous he is. and and But, you know, how much influence he has. I think, you know, that uh, we talked about it perhaps, like, did Oasis exist and does Oasis exist in this universe? We know we know they were influenced by the Beatles. So it's going to be interesting to see how famous these guys are and if they're, you know, what kind of music they're making. We don't know. We have to find that out. So uh, are you curious about the ending? Because that's the thing that I'm still trying to figure out how Oh, I'm this so curious, end. yeah. And I know that he, Danny Boyle mentioned, you know, let's not, he doesn't want to give any spoilers away himself during the interview, which is great. I just feel like in the trailer you see, um, they're set up where you see two pairs of feet. I've got two men who claim that the songs are theirs. Let's see how this plays out, shall we? You know, is leading us to believe that there's something going on there. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to find out. Uh, well, uh, one final question. Why do you think we should see this movie in theaters? I just think it's a communal movie. I want to sit and I want to laugh and I want to hear the people beside me laughing and giggling. This movie was so made to be enjoyed with other people around me. Excellent. Well, Ingrid, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And when can we read this interview in the Cineplex magazine? It's in the June issue on Stands Now. Earlier, we gave you three fun facts and one lie about the live-action Spider-Man movies. Did you guess which one was the lie? Here they are again. One, some of the jokes in Homecoming were written by Seth Rogen. Two, Alfred Molina, who played villain Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2, named each of his tentacles. Three, Tom Holland found out he won the part as Spider-Man via Instagram. And four, there were actual spider auditions for the first movie with Tobey Maguire. Let's... Let's start with that last one, because there were spider auditions. Director Sam Raimi wanted the perfect spider to bite Peter Parker and give him his superpowers. An entomologist brought in some candidates and Raimi chose one. The spider was then anesthetized so artists could paint it red and blue. That's a fun skill to put on your resume. Was it Alfred Molina and the tentacles? No, that one's true. He named them, of course you want to know, I do, Larry, Harry, Flo, and Mo. Flo was his favorite because that one would lift a drink for him to sip. God, I love that. Also true, Tom Holland did find out he got the part via Instagram. On The Ellen Show, he described a five-month audition process. Five months! After which he was told they'd call him the next day. Six weeks later, he saw an Instagram post from Marvel saying, go to our site to find out who the new Spider-Man is. And it was him. That means there are no Seth Rogen jokes in Spider-Man Far From Home. The star of Longshot and Knocked Up, he has written movies like Sausage Party, This Is the End, and Superbad, and an episode of The Simpsons. Very cool. But he did not contribute any jokes to the latest Spider-Man movie. There are a ton of old school movie terms that have become part of everyday conversation. Some have been used for decades and might just be in your vocabulary without even questioning it. Did you know that the expression cut to the chase comes from the silent movie era? Back in the day, most of those movies were love stories, and they all led up to an exciting action sequence at the end, and that meant a car chase. So when old-timey movie directors wanted to cut to that sequence, they'd say, cut to the chase. Eventually, it became Hollywood shorthand for getting to the point in a movie, and then stopped being movie talk and just became a common expression. 
Then there's in the can, which means completely done, but actually refers to film canisters. When a reel was done, they'd seal it literally in an airtight can. So that brings us to this question. Have you ever wondered why it's called the silver screen? Well, like the can and the chase, it's quite literal. In the early days of cinema, movies were all in black and white, of course. Movie theaters learned that the best way to bring out the tones and textures was to use a screen with silver tone thread or cover the screens themselves with metallic reflective paint, creating, you guessed it, a silver screen. Sometimes they even sprinkled actual silver or aluminum dust on them. Though it sounds pretty shiny and may be bad for your lungs, there was another problem. Silver screens weren't so great at dispersing light. The center of the screen would be quite bright and the periphery quite dark. So what this did was make the best viewing area so narrow that a good seat made all the difference. So if you think you're territorial about your special spot to sit in at the theater now, imagine fighting to get into the center row in 1910. I don't even know if swearing was invented yet. Over time, the silver screens were replaced with better and more modern non-metallic options that helped with light dispersal. But silver screen stuck. But guess what? Silver screens are back. If you go see a 3D movie and you're wearing those glasses they hand out, chances are you're looking at a silver screen again. Okay, it may look more gray than silver if you take a close look, but it works the same way as the original silver screens because it's all about reflecting light. So it may sound like some old-timey thing, but now it's actually pretty modern technology. Not to mention that it's become an all-encompassing and colorful term for the entire world of cinema. It is time to talk movies with Tanner Zipchin, the host of the Cineplex pre-show. Tanner, how are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to chat with you about Toy Story 4 because I heard that you've seen it just a smidge. Yeah. Uh, I've seen the first uh, 17 and a half minutes. First of all, how do you get to see 17 and a half minutes? At CinemaCon this year, they previewed the first uh, little bit of the film. So we got to see, you know, Forky's origins, where this, uh, what will probably soon become everyone's favorite character, where he comes from, and kind of how they get started on this adventure. But yeah, this is really, uh, like we said before, Woody's story. So now Woody's on his own little adventure. We kind of closed the Andy chapter, and, and now we're uh, onto something new. Is it nice to see Woody and Buzz again? It's, it's cool. Like, it's, you know, growing up with Toy Story, you know, one, two, three, and seeing these characters come back. And they're more or less, you know, minus the advancements in animation, still have that same look and feel and the mm-hmm. voice. So it, it feels very nostalgic. Uh, Stuber's coming out next month. What a cast. Please be a five-star ride. Hey! Uber? Yeah. Yeah, essentially here we have Dave Batista. He's a guy out on a mission and he's trying to track down a killer and he needs a way to get there. And uh, like most people, he calls an Uber. And then cue uh, Kamel Nanjiani, uh, who comes in and he's the Uber driver who has to now kind of accidentally team up with Dave Batista to kick some butt and uh, try and stop a, you know, a crime lord. So just, you know. a, just a standard story. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty. Every Uber driver's dream. Love it. Uh, Okay, so uh, 21 Bridges. Oh, yeah, 21 Bridges also has an amazing cast. Uh, You've got Taylor Kitsch. You've got uh, Black Panther's Chadwick uh, Boseman. It looks intense. Yeah, this is uh, as a a big uh, night of crime unfolds and and, uh, in New York City and kind of the whole city has to be shut down. So cue Chadwick Boseman, who plays a detective. And according to, you know, talking to him on the red carpet, this is a huge bucket list thing for him because an actor 
you want to play a few roles in your career. And one's like a cowboy, one is a cop. So he got to finally cross off the detective off his bucket list. So yeah, 21 bridges is essentially how many bridges and entry points there are into the city. So those bridges have to close. And then it's a race against the clock to, uh, you know, figure out what's going on and uh, save the day. So I don't give too much away because it's kind of all a big complicated plot that's maybe spoilers. But uh, yeah, this one will kind of keep you guessing and it'll definitely keep you on the edge of your seat. You know something. You better tell me. Something's wrong with Chucky. Buddy can connect to and control all of your camera. Is Child's Play as creepy as the other Chucky movies? Lots of thing with these reboots or sequels of these classic horror movies, they always manage to update it to a new audience, and they've really done that here. So not only is Chucky getting a new voice by Mark Hamill, Aubrey Plaza is joining the cast, and Chucky himself has got a, a few advancements uh, to make him a more uh, current-day toy, because that's the thing now. All the toys have crazy tech that can like hack it to your phone or maybe your home system. So now Chucky can do that, which makes him a little more dangerous if he can you know, access your security system and turn things on in your house. So watch out. Uh, it's freaking me out. Again, I am a chicken, but I will probably see it. You should do it. Yeah, I'll try my best. You should do it. All right, thanks. Not alone, but you should do it. <laughs> I would never go see Child's Play alone. Would you? That's a whole other thing. I don't I don't know. People do it, and I don't know how they do it. I, You know, I don't mind going to movies by myself, but I don't know if I could do a scary movie solo. Chucky's the type of movie that you don't keep your feet on the ground because you, you feel like something's going to grab your legs. Uh... And it's probably going to be Chucky. So when you go home after seeing Chucky, by the way, make sure you jump into bed because Tanner is going to grab your feet for sure. <laughs> Thanks, Tanner. Thank uh, you. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. And that's a wrap. Please subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. If you have comments or questions about anything you heard on the podcast, let us know at hellomovies at cineplex.com. Hello Movies is brought to you by Cineplex Entertainment. Lori Ulster is the writer of our podcast. Colton Eddy is our producer. Ellie Gordon Marshall is our sound designer and mixer. Our series consultant is Jeff Alster. And our executive producer is Catherine Jun. A special shout out to Tanner Zipchin. And thanks to Sarah Cooper and Philip Zivkov for their help with this episode. I'm Lana Gay. Thanks for listening and see you at the movies. 